This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and uh, welcome to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture this Friday afternoon. I'm Lim Su An alongside T. Shao Ik in the studio today. So our topic for today is the East Coast Rail Link. Now since it was kick-started in 2016, the ECRL project um, is now ECRL 3.0 after the Transport Ministry, Ministry announced that it's been realigned. And this is the second time the route has been changed. And while it's nearly 21% complete, the final route that connects Clank uh, Valley to Kelantan is still being negotiated and the cost of the project is now expected to increase as well. So we follow up with Azam Wan Hashim from Ideas after the think tank expressed their concerns on these, on these latest changes to the ECRL, asking Putrajaya to improve transparency when it comes to development. Yes, and we want to find out from you, do you understand the overall process that goes into a mega, you know, billion dollar, billion ringgit project like the ECRL? Um, we have a poll on Twitter with that question with three options for you to choose. Yes, completely or no, need more info or no, not interested. So you can take that poll at uh, BFM Radio uh, or you can also WhatsApp us um, You know whether you understand the, the process. Has there been if enough information made available and accessible to the public? You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Hmm. So since the ECRL was kicked off in 2016, I mean, it's been five years since then it's been um, quite a while you know a lot mm. of has happened with the project since then so we thought we'd just jog our memories a bit and quickly recap what has happened in the five years since yes so uh, let me take you back to 2016 the i mean the, uh, at that time the ecrl was first planned by the bn government under former prime minister dato sri najib raza and uh, in 2016 the contract to build the railway was awarded to china communications construction company limited and the initial cost was 65 billion ringgit and the whole point of the ECRL uh, that was proposed was aimed at connecting more developed parts of Malaysia like the Klang Valley to underdeveloped ones like Kelantan. And those two states form the start and end points of the road. And so it starts in Kota Baru and it ends in Port Klang. Hmm. But fast forward to 2018 and the newly installed Pakatan Harapan government then looked to cut to, uh, the cost of the project. And they did do just that, you know, and they cut it from 65 billion ringgit to 44 billion ringgit. And essentially how they achieved this was by rerouting the ECRL which was known as the um, and this realignment was known as the southern realignment. So instead of connecting Kelantan to the Klang Valley through the north part of Slango and that's via Gomba the track would pass instead through um, Negeri Sembilan and then make its way to Port Klang. Yes and there were two main factors to this realignment. So first of all um, former Prime Minister Tun Dr Mahathir wanted to reduce the cost of the project mm. because rerouting the ECRL meant shortening the length of the track. But based on feedback from the Selangor state government, Tun Mahathir's administration also wanted to prevent the ECRL from running through the Gombak Quartz Ridge, which is actually a UNESCO heritage site. You know, there are precious forest reserves and water catchment areas are there that provide water to residents of Selangor around the ridge. And the Pakatan uh, Harapan government wanted to preserve all of those. Mm. However, just this week, Transport Minister Dato Sri Dr. Wika Siong said that he wants to revert the route under PH, um, uh, uh, 
revert to the root that was originally um, um, and restore it to the original root. Yes, I'm yeah. um, sorry, words just couldn't get out <laughs> at the moment. So now well, it, there have been so many uh, realignments. Mm. Yeah. So of course now with all these realignments and the back and forth, it's now known as the ECRL 3.0. However, this you know re realignment would actually depend on the Slangor State Government, which has which has the final say over land development rights. So what this means is that you know the Slangor State Government needs to first give land acquisition rights to Putrajaya so that the ECRL can go through Gomba in the first place. But on top of that, you know, opposition lawmakers have said that ECRL 3.0 would actually increase the project's price tag to around 50 billion ringgit, mm. um, up from 44 billion ringgit under the PH government. But um, the PN government has disputed this figure. Yes, so in light of all these um, changing and uh, latest developments, uh, the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs Ideas has released a statement saying that they are concerned that the changes uh, are not being made transparent to the public. And Ideas has also highlighted the disputed price tag as a sign that the PN government is not providing all the necessary information that would detail the comprehensive cost of this project. Mm. So to walk us through ideas, concerns and uh, a little one-on-one on what goes into mega projects like the ECRL, we've got Azam Wan Hashim, who is an executive with the Public Finance Unit at Ideas. So thanks for joining us today, Azam. Now, maybe you could point out the major developments around the ECRL um, to start with and expand on what we've walked through earlier. So the status of the project, uh, in in terms of... Um I mean, the, the progress to completion, I think it's around 20-something percent. Um, but for me, it's it's less so on, on, on the progress of the construction, but, but more so on the larger scale of the project itself. So for me, there are four major milestones under this project. So the first major milestone is in 2016, when Najib Raza uh, announced and approved the project, uh, announced it in parliament. And then a couple months later, the government um, signed a framework finance deal and construction agreement with the main contractor, uh, a Chinese company called CCCC or um, China Communications Construction Company. So this happened in 2016. Um, In 2017, um, the government again signed an MOU uh, for phase two of the project. Uh, So phase two is from Gombat to Port Klang, or I think now it's called section C of of the, the track alignment. Uh, in 2017, we signed this MOU, and then the construction uh, activities started. The next milestone happened in 2018. The project was suspended by the government uh, under grounds of national interest, they say. And then the next milestone after that is in 2019, when the project resumed back again. Uh, there was a supplementary agreement that was signed between the government and the contractor. And this supplementary agreement... Uh, included a lot of changes to the project, some pretty major change, including the realignment of the Section C of the, the track. So this week is the the most recent round of change. It's related to the Section C of the track, once again from Gombak to Port Klang, which, as I said previously in 2018, had already undergone a, a major realignment. Uh, and now it is once again going through another round of changes, going back to the original plans. So we had the original plan uh, was for this section C, this last bit from Gombat to Port Klang, 
to run through a, a northern alignment. But in 2018, that was renegotiated, and then they chose a southern alignment for the Section C. And so earlier this week, uh, it was approved and announced uh, that they would go back to the original alignment uh, running through the, the, the northern uh, part of Klang Valley. So, Azam, what exactly is the issue here? And we know that Ideas has just released a statement expressing your concerns about the project's progress. So why do we care about all this? So the main concerns from Ideas is that a lot of these major project changes came as a result of the government changing. So we've recently only seen uh, the government of Malaysia changing hands. Um, You know, this is a recent development. So in 2018, we saw the Barisan National Government uh, lose to the Pakistan Harapan government. And the PH government suspended the project, renegotiated the project, included major changes. Okay, and then we get the Prikatan National Government. And then they again looked at the project and wanted to change it once again. So our main concerns is that it's a bit too coincidental that these major project changes are happening under different governments. And the concern with that is that these changes to the project might not be based on, you know, evaluations to the cost and benefit of the project, evaluations to, to you know, environmental considerations, for example. Our concern is that the, the changes to the project is, is based on deliberations that aren't based on these technical evaluations. Just to clarify, um, you're saying that this ECRL 3.0 is practically the original plan that was first drafted by the former Barisan National Administration? Uh, yes, but not completely. So uh, the, the track alignment runs all the way from Klantan to Port Klang. The only change that's been made is on this Section C portion running from Gombat to Port Klang. So the, the other bits, Section A and Section B, from the east coast of Peninsula Malaysia. So that, that remains um, unchanged from the previous PH government alignment. So the only change that happens is in the Section C. And yes, it is closer to the original alignment plans um, as announced by Barisan National. All right. Okay. So now if we look at this from a financial standpoint, right, is this realignment ultimately a good or a bad thing? Right. So in terms of the financial standpoint, we don't have enough information actually from the government uh, to conclusively say whether this change in the Section C is financially beneficial. If you look at the numbers that have been released by the government, the very first alignment in 2016-2017 agreements uh, cost 655 billion ringgit. And then it was realigned again under PH at a reduced cost of 44 billion. And then this week, it was changed again at a new cost of 50 billion. So, you know, the, the, the cost of the project has kind of gone into this zigzag motion where it was high and then it was reduced and now it's increased back again. From a financial standpoint, what you really want to look at is how do these costs measure up to the benefit of the project itself? Was the initial 65 billion ringgit um, when announced by the PH government said that it was too costly? Um, It's difficult for us to say because there's not really any comprehensive publication of reports that cite the actual benefits of, of the project itself. From the public standpoint, we can't really look at the benefits of the project 
in terms of whether it will deliver 65.5 billion ringgit of benefits. So this release of of supporting documents has not happened uh, throughout the renegotiations, the different changes of the project, including this one. So the most recent change increased the cost of 50 billion from 44 billion following the original alignment through through the northern route. But once again, we still don't know what the forecasted benefits of the rail line are. Are they greater than 50 billion? Because, you know, evaluating the project based on, on, on its financial standpoint requires you to look at the cost and benefit analysis. And without the release of information, we can't really conclusively say whether the benefits justify the cost in this case. Okay, all right, Azam, do stay on the line with us as we do need to go for a quick break. We're speaking with Azam Wan Hashim, who's an executive in the Public Finance Unit at Ideas about the think tank's concern, uh, concerns regarding the realigned ECRL project, now named ECRL 3.0. And on that note, we also have a, a Twitter poll running for you. Yes, we're asking you, do you understand the overall process that goes into a mega project like the ECRL? On our poll, we have three options, yes, completely, or no. No, need more info or no, not interested. So you can take that poll at BFM Radio. Uh, also WhatsApp us your thoughts, 018-789-8899. So we'll be right back with more. Keep it here on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Lim Su An alongside T. Xiao Ik uh, with you today this Friday afternoon. So now we're discussing the realigned ECRL project, um, also known as ECRL 3.0, and why Ideas has come out to express their concerns about it. So Ideas released a statement saying that, you know, they want the government to improve transparency around the project so that the public and policymakers can better weigh the benefits of the rail track for the rakyat. So to do just that, we've got Azam Wan. Hashim, who's an executive with the Public Finance Unit at Ideas. So Azam, thanks for staying on the line with us. So before the break, you've said how you're concerned uh, that the changes, uh, each change to the ECRL have happened every time. There's been a change of government, you know, from uh, Barisan to Pakatan, then from Pakatan to Perikata National, and that it's not clear whether these changes are based on an e- objective evaluation of the project. Now, what considerations were actually made in the routing of this track? So the latest route runs from Kota Baru in Kelantan to Port Klang and it stops by towns like Chirating and Punca Alam. So once again, from a public perspective, we come into the situation where it's hard for us to definitively say why certain stops were, were planned to be built uh, because there's not a full publication of, of a feasibility study, for example. We don't really know what were the deliberations or what were the economic, social, environmental considerations behind choosing one location versus another. Without this kind of publication, we can't really say conclusively from a public perspective. I think the government is, is better to answer this question. But look, the, the project of the ECRL was designed to establish a rail connection between more developed uh, Western states in peninsular Malaysia, uh, uh, KL Selangor, to the relatively less developed states of Kelantan, Terengganu, uh, the East Coast. And throughout the building of that alignment uh, between these two uh, zones, there would be some economic growth along the route, right? In terms of this Section C portion, um, once again, it's, 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 it's hard to say from an economic standpoint, but the Pakistan Harpan government previously said that 
one of the justifications for it to not run through the northern alignment, for it to run through the southern alignment, is because there is this this natural wonder called the Klongates Quartz Ridge, which is, you know, the longest quartz ridge formation uh, in the world, actually. It's been recognized by UNESCO World Heritage as, as a World Heritage Site. So uh, the rerouting through the southern alignment would avoid having to tunnel through this world-renowned quartz ridge. Uh, another justification of the southern alignment is, is some cost reductions and also some cost savings from um, land acquisition, uh, uh, things, things like that. So generally speaking, um, Azam, what does it take to implement a project as large as this? So in a nutshell, perhaps could you walk us through, you know, that process from start to finish? Sure. Uh, it's it's a complicated process. This is a, a large, very complicated project. But ECRL in itself is a special case. So I'll just talk about generally infrastructure development. There's, I would say, four main stages. Uh, so the first stage is the planning stage. So this is when the government looks at the infrastructure needs of the country. They try to address this with the best type of infrastructure. Do we need roads? Do we need railways? Do we need ports? In the planning phase also, you would then do you know, evaluation studies, feasibility studies to see which, one, which, which of these options provide the best benefit for the cost. Uh, the government calls it value for money. Um, so... There's a lot of intensive planning um, that needs to happen before the project even starts. Uh, you need to identify the project. You need to identify the type of infrastructure that you need and, and what it addresses uh, based on cost-benefit analysis. After this planning phase, then you kind of look at where is the financial allocation coming from. So this is where you look at what is the most financially beneficial way to structure the project. Is, is it going through public procurement, PPP or JV, uh, whatever the structure may be. After we kind of figure out where the finances come from, then we get into the actual implementation of the project. So it starts with uh, the procurement. Like I said, it's public procurement or PPP. This is where the government actually submits a tender for any contractors who want to bid for that project to have competition in there. So after a contractor has been selected, then you would go into implementation, monitoring. So this is where the construction happens. This is where we look at, uh, you know, what is actually being built versus what was uh, being planned. Uh, some would say that it stops there, but I would also include another step after that, which is auditing the project itself, uh, seeing if the plans were delivered based on the contract uh, and, and the financial performance of that. Right. And in your statement that I mentioned earlier, Ideas has come out to say that they're concerned about the amount of transparency around the ECRL. So has the process that you've just walked us through been made transparent to the public? So when we look at, at the process of infrastructure development, uh, planning, allocation, procurement, implementation and monitoring, the, the only transparent bits, well, I wouldn't say the only ones, but but. The ones where Malaysia has shown uh, improvement is in procurement. Uh, so we have shown a greater improvement of transparency of our procurement system, uh, especially through the adoption of things like e-procurement. However, in the ECRL case specifically, it didn't go through competitive tendering. It went through direct negotiations with uh, the Chinese contractor and, and the Chinese government. It, in terms of transparency, if it were to go through the public procurement system, 
uh, it would have to be published. This is a, a law that is from the Treasury Circular from the MOF, include better transparency and governance of public procurement. But in the case of the ECRL, it went through direct negotiations. So we don't really know um, how the, the tendering, the procurement uh, occurred under this project. So what this means is that the procurement phase of the ECRL happened through a closed process. It occurred behind closed doors between the Malaysian government, the Chinese government, and any other parties that were associated with the project itself. Uh, it didn't go through public scrutiny. You know, deals were signed and then they were announced. So there, there was no announcement prior to the deals being signed. Uh, so this is a lack of transparency. And how important is transparency in a project like this? I mean, does it matter if the information is made available, if in the end, you know, the project goes smoothly and it benefits the route yet? I mean, why is it important um, the public can keep track of development projects like this? So this is a good question because for me, transparency itself, having that transparency in the process isn't the end goal itself. So trans transparency, you know, if, if we have full publication, full, full transparency of the whole process, but nobody's really interested, then there is no point for that transparency. The thing is, when you incorporate transparency and governance standards into the process, what you actually do is you send a strong signal to those involved in the public procurement process that proposals, the planning, the fairness, the competition, and also the delivery of the project itself is subject to public scrutiny. So when you have this transparency and you have this, this mechanism for the public to, to essentially play the role of the auditor to play the role of the, the monitoring agency, to look at the project, whether it's, it's going successfully, when you have this mechanism in place, then there is more pressure and more signals to actually implement the project, construct the project successfully. So in the Malaysian case, we see a lot of our infrastructure projects actually under-delivering on their effectiveness and, and their you know, the, the, the quality that is delivered is not up to par or perhaps not based on the initial plans. Another thing that happens in Malaysia is a lot of cost overruns. You know, you have a set budget for an infrastructure development, but the development and construction actually costs a lot more than what was initially budgeted. Having transparency mechanisms in place will allow the public to, um, as it's happening, look at, at these things and address them through their members of parliament, through the, the you know voicing out their concerns to to the government. So this can't happen without transparency mechanisms in place. So clearly, a huge factor of the ECRL is its cost. So how can policymakers better analyze the economic returns of a project? Because ultimately, projects like this one are supposed to yield returns to the rakyat, right? So this is something that needs to occur in the planning stage. Of, of the project. So when the government looks at the needs of the country in terms of infrastructure gaps, they have a target of, of addressing these gaps, right? And in assessing what is the best way to address these infrastructure gaps, uh, you need to conduct a cost-benefit analysis. You need to compare one option versus another option. And importantly, related to my previous point, you need to publish this so that the public can actually assess 
the economic benefits, the economic costs. So this cost and benefit analysis is crucial. It's called a feasibility study in the industry term. Feasibility studies aren't readily available to the public, so we can't assess the cost and benefit. We can only assess that based on information that's been released by the government. Uh, So we have total cost. We have the details of the track alignment itself, um, the forecasted amount of demand and usage for the track alignment. So we have some of these technical details and industry experts can calculate the forecasted benefits and then compare that to the the cost, uh, for example. So these are some like things that that the public can do to independently analyze the cost and benefit. But ultimately, you know, if the government wants to announce certain changes like this, they should also be accompanied by supporting documents like that feasibility study. They should be accompanied by justifications of why one alignment is better than another alignment, regardless of the cost, regardless of the cost. So, so the cost is kind of secondary. It's The fact that the public needs to be reassured through transparency that these costs are justified by benefits. Independent research has looked at the ECRL specifically and said that the benefits of the ECRL line do not justify the costs. So this is independent research, um, but based on a limited set of information from the government. So if the, the government wants to justify the ECRL in itself as a project, please just publish the the feasibility study. We'll take a look at it. We will support the project uh, if it has greater benefits and costs. So then are there other countries in the region that are doing better when it comes to um, transparency? Is there anywhere that we can look to as a potential model? So this is interesting. Okay, so there is an international standard on on transparency of infrastructure uh, projects. It's called the Construction Sector Transparency Initiative or COST. So we're actually conducting a project right now that assesses a number of projects around the region based on this this transparency standard. And what we see across the region is that transparency is generally bad in terms of, of, of public infrastructure. But countries like the Philippines have regulations and laws in place that make it such that uh, uh, the procurement process, for example, is a lot more open to competition, a lot more transparent provides a lot more opportunity for public scrutiny. Uh, they also have a more robust legal system to bring these issues up into, into the courts. But generally, we see that uh, transparency is, is, is not great. So for countries like Thailand, who have taken a look at this transparency standard and adopted it into their policies, regulations, the necessary measures needed uh, whenever they undertake a public infrastructure project, what they see is that this greater transparency has actually led to better cost savings and higher quality, you know, infrastructure projects and and more success of the projects, reduced cost overruns. So we see with countries like Thailand and many other developed countries uh, around the world that have adopted transparency standards, we see that the impact of that is better governance mechanisms and better uh, levels of public scrutiny, which do lead, you know, outside of theory, into real-world results of cost savings. 
Now, are there other things that Putrajaya should consider restructuring moving forward, especially when it comes to preventing the sort of back and forth that's been going on with the ECRL? So when we look at the ECRL project specifically, um, the issues that come about, the concerns that come about, are actually a part of the larger infrastructure planning system in Malaysia. Um, The fact that the ECRL is allowed to change so many times uh, under different cost structures, under different governments, kind of points to the fact that at its initiation, the planning for the project, the cost-benefit analysis for the project, the feasibility, they were somewhat weak. The fact that you can justify changes in the future means that initially those plans were probably suboptimal and there was room for improvement. So I would encourage that the government improves our infrastructure planning. Uh, We currently don't have a system of medium and long-term infrastructure development plans. Our infrastructure kind of occurs ad hoc. We know that there are some gaps. Uh, We don't really plan to to build these roads and ports and uh, railways, they just kind of happen ad hoc. Uh, so in un, under the Najib Raza administration, we see infrastructure development being uh, one of the top priorities. Um, and, and they sought out financing from China to, to, to fund these infrastructure developments. This weakness in the planning phase of, of public infrastructure projects needs to be improved in the future. The second thing that I would recommend is to include transparency to increase the robustness of the governance mechanism. So if internally the planning phase for the ECRL project was relatively you know, weak or they were suboptimal, having transparency would have brought about these issues much earlier than they are now. You know, this project has been in the works since 2016. It's it's been like almost five years, and and we're still changing it. We're still somewhat in the planning phase, and once again with no transparency, so that there's no uh, opportunity for external stakeholders like the public to to provide inputs. There's there's not really much robust uh, analysis from the construction industry in assessing whether this project is good or not, whether one option is better than the other. In addition to that, we've also seen a lot of trouble with Malaysian infrastructure projects because of this lack of transparency. So apart from just um, encouraging better uh, value for money for these public infrastructure projects, we need to ensure that there's transparency is there so that you know things like corruption can't occur in the future. So these are the two main things that I would recommend. One is better planning um, and one is greater transparency. Specifically planning, you know, I think this should be done by an independent body that does long-term planning of our infrastructure needs and our infrastructure uh, plans. Uh, in terms of transparency, I would then recommend, you know, just adopt international standards of transparency that have been proven to show uh, benefits to cost and, and to governance. All right, Azam, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Azam Wan Hashim, Executive in the Public Finance Unit at IDEAS, the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs. And Azam was speaking to us about the concerns that they have with the realignment of the ECRL project, which was announced by Transport Minister Dr. Wika Siong just this week. Mm. And Azam made uh, an important point on, you know, making mega projects like this one more transparent, right? That ultimately you don't make things like cost, the procurement process, 
process to find a contractor, for example, uh, you don't make that transparency for the sake of uh, transparency. It's not an end goal, but sharing information on projects and um, sends a message to the government that the public is watching and that lawmakers need to be accountable because um, ultimately it's about making sure that the project yields returns for the racket. Yes, and speaking of transparency and how much information is made available to the public, we've been asking you, do you understand the overall process that goes into a mega project like the ECRL? Quite tellingly, only 3.3% of people who've taken our poll said yes, they understand it completely. Uh, In fact, most of the votes have come in for um, no need more information. That's 75% of the votes. And about 21.7% of all of you have said no, you're not interested, in fact. Uh, And uh, I think just the, the sheer fact that when information is not made publicly available, um, people will not be aware of it, and mm. therefore you 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 know they they, are, they aren't aware of why they should be invested that's or interested right. in it. Mm. And I think that's been um, quite the case for a lot of projects, but especially for something like the ECRL, I think it's slowly um, over the years. I think it's gotten a lot more attention as the years pass, especially with all the realignments that happen. Mm. And then I guess from there, people then are searching for information, but then or perhaps not getting the information that they're looking mm. for. And for sure, when a question of increasing cost comes up, people mm. will sit up and pay attention, right? Definitely. So mm. we'll also be, you know, paying attention to the project. We're keeping a close eye on it and bring you updates um, as and when they happen. So that's it for the Daily Digest today. But if you've missed any part of um, today's show, you can download the podcast at bfm.my slash daily digest on our BFM app or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. You can also get in touch with us directly on Facebook at BFM The Bigger Picture to drop us a message. Now, coming up at 3pm, we've got another episode of Good Things for you this Friday. So, Juliet Jacobs will be speaking to Angela Hijas and Bilkis Hijas about why they've set up Rimbundahan as a temporary home for visual artists, dancers, choreographers, writers, arts managers, curators and researchers, so a whole host of people there. And you can um, tune into that uh, later after the news bulletin at 3. Yes, and uh, I just wanted to remind all of you that at 4 o'clock on Health and Living, um, YB Khairi Jamaluddin, uh, Minister of uh, Science, Technology and Innovation will be uh, on the show to talk about, um, you know, how these um, different variants of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, especially the more the variants of concern, the mm. more contagious ones, uh, will affect our vaccination program. And we'll be getting uh, updates about uh, the vaccination program from him as well. So do tune in for that. And, uh, you know, you can contact us if you have any questions for YBKJ. That's right. So in the meantime, you've been tuned to The Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.